Hey guys, hello and welcome to another entry in my Quarren stream series. I am of course Joe Magician, and this week's topic is a bit of a throwback. Um, and it probably goes back to what a lot of you may have heard of me for the first time, because this is about a theory that I wrote about four or five years ago now, exploring how and why Waymar Royce died in the opening prologue of the Song of Ice and Fire, and how that connects to our bay hero Jon Snow. Hey guys, how's it going in the chat? Uh, a lot of people here today. Um, Nessie, Stephen Stark, Aaron, Sanrixian, Floris the Fox, Jay Murray, Luminous Rain. Oh, also I wanted to say thank you to um, Morley before the stream started. She super chatted $50 and Bless you, <laughs> bless you, Morley. Um, that was very, very kind of you. Um, and since this is coming up early, I had planned. Well, uh, Stephen Stark just put in the chat. Um, if you're planning on super chatting or anything today, um, I'd ask that you instead give it to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. Um, those folks need that money way more than I do today. Uh, I appreciate the support and all the all that kind of stuff you guys normally do, but. Today's, uh, there, there's a slightly different priority of where people need help the most. And it's certainly not dudes sitting in his room talking about Song of Ice and Fire. But anyway, um, yeah, so that theory that I wrote is called, well, <laughs> this is kind of funny, um, it was called A Cold Death in the Snow, The Killing of Waymar Royce. That title, though, is not what the theory's called, because fandom villain Brendan Beefish took down my post for the title being too spoilery. This was before I was a Song of Ice and Fire mod, and I was just a young man in the in the ways of Reddit, uh, apparently saying that Waymar Royce was dead in the prologue was too much of a spoiler for the mods. So I actually had to go back and resubmit it. Um... Oh yeah, um, Maester Mary just said, always happy to see ghosts in the back. Yeah, I changed the camera angle a little bit so you can see the stuff behind me a little bit. Like there's um, the calendars up here, there's ghost, my weirwood cup, there's a three-eyed raven, there's my uh, skull, I call him Ned wearing a germ hat, you know, Dragonite, because that's how I roll. Um, yeah, so I had, to, I had to resubmit the post. But in my haste to do it, because I was so excited about the theory, I even got the name wrong again. This time, I called it Spoilers All, Spoilers All, A Cold Death in the Snow, The Killing of a Ranger. Yeah, that's that's the name of my most popular post. It has two spoiler tags in it, by accident. We all make mistakes. Um, <laughs> and then a year ago, I released the sequel to that titled uh, How the Song of Ice and Fire Ends, The Killing of a Ranger Part 2, where um, I released it just before Season 8. Um, it was talking, it was, instead of talking about what was the past, going back and looking at the books and hints that John and the others were on this collision course, and then... This part two was like, okay, so we'll take that and let's try and make some predictions about where this is going. That one was slightly less possible. Uh, that one was slightly less popular, although it's still available on the um, on my YouTube channel. Um, if you want to watch it back after this, 
But today I thought what we what I want to do is talk about those two theories sort of as like a retrospective, where they came from, the response to them, where they kind of went right and where they went a little bit wrong, because swinging a miss on part two. Um, and you know how I kind of think of them today, looking back as as a person that wrote them. And uh and all the fun that has come from it since then. Uh, before we get into that, though, if you could take a moment and absolutely slam that like button, subscribe, share, and if you're watching on replay or listening back to the podcast feed, you know, leave a comment or review. These seem like pretty small things, but they actually do make a big difference because of the way YouTube runs and the way its bots recommends Um content to people. These are signals they pay attention to. So it really does help, even though it seems very small. Um, and again, I just want to reiterate this point. Um, normally, I would say, like, if you want to support the channel, go to my Patreon, or you can do super chats or super stickers. But um, again, if if you wanted to do those today, I would ask that you give them to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. I'm uh, going to drop the link in the chat again. Just donate to them instead. <laughs> and, uh, just leave your leave your comments here. And I'll get to them as we're talking. This is going to be more of a uh, less, more of a Q&A thing. Um, I have some notes of things I want to talk about, but, you know, I think it'd be good to talk about these theories and answer your questions about them and different takes on what it all means. Because that's actually one of the things that surprised me the most about this theory. Um, I've written some fairly popular theories and made some fairly popular videos, but very few of them have had so many people use my, use one of mine as the basis for taking the next step, like all over Song of Ice and Fire, the, the subreddit and across the fandom. I still find people referencing this post as sort of a, a building block that they have tried to move forwards with, which is really interesting for me. Um, and with all that stuff out of the way, I thought we'd go to a quote. I think I have read this several times now for different videos, but it's one of my favorites. It's from the opening prologue, <clears throat> and it's the moment where Waymar Royce and the others start their duel. Crack the neck, you know, just gotta get ready for it. Um, <clears throat> the other slid forward on silent feet. In its hand was a longsword like none that Will had ever seen. No human metal had gone into the forging of that blade. It was alive with moonlight, translucent, a shard of crystal so thin that it seemed to vanish when seen edge on. There was a faint blue, there was a faint blue shimmer to the thing. A ghost light played around its edges, and somehow knew, Will knew that it was sharper than any razor. Sir Waymar met him bravely. Dance with me, then. He lifted his sword over his head, defiant. His hands trembled from the weight of it and perhaps from the cold. Yet in that moment, Will thought, he was a boy no longer, but a man of the night's watch. The other halted. Will saw its eyes, blue, deeper and bluer than any human eyes, the blue that burned like ice. They fixed on the longsword trembling on high, watched the moonlight running cold along the metal. For a heartbeat, he dared to hope. And it's... It's in particular this these moments that the other gives away what it is looking for, why it was what is paying attention to, what is important to the other about Waymar Royce that is actually a way you can go back and which is what I did and assign 
understanding to what they want. Yeah, let me fix the camera angle a little bit. Okay. What they want, what is important to them, what are their goals? Because that's something that's really hard to understand in the story. They we really know very little about them in terms of what what are they doing other than trying to bring about the long night and what does that even do for them? Ah. Oh, that's a good question, Kitty Kramer. I'll get to that. Let me copy that and put it into my doc. I'll get to that later. Uh, no, no doc today for patrons. Uh, it's it's a very short outline because I'm mostly doing this one for memory. Because you know, I don't have to. I've already written these things. I'm just mostly doing it for memory. Um, so I want to talk first about like where did this theory come from? Um, like how did I come up with it? Why did I come up with that? Like all that other kind of stuff. And it's actually, it goes back to me and my cousin hanging out at his father's lake house up in Maine. Um, if you, if you go back and watch the original video, there's a voice that is speaking on it. That is reading the quotes for me. That is my cousin, Mr. Woodhouse. Um, <laughs> uh, and he was the person that helped me come up with and write the theory. And for a while in the fandom, <coughs> he sort of served as my editor and my like sounding board for theories. Um, cause what we tended to do during this time was he still lived in new England and during the summers, uh, yeah, my uncle has a very nice house up on a lake and we go up there and hang out. We go down the boat. Um, we hang out on the dock drinking shandies. And one thing we would do is we would talk a lot about a song of ice and fire because, uh, Mr. Woodhouse, if you've never talked to him before, um, has an unbelievable memory. It's, it's sometimes it seems almost photographic or idemic. He remembers everything. And, uh, sometimes people say like, Oh Matt, you have a really good memory. It's nothing compared to Mr. Woodhouse's memory. So what would end up happening is I would propose tinfoil and then he would essentially search his mind palace and come back through and say, if he thought there was any merit to it. Um, obviously afterwards, if there, if it was something I wanted to to look into more, I'd go and do the research, read the chapters, all that other kind of stuff. But this was kind of where they started. It was me going like, do you remember this thing? Does this latch up with that kind of information? That kind of thing. And that's sort of what happened with, um, with killing of a ranger. We were sort of sitting around drinking on, I think on the porch one day and <laughs> just for conversation, we decided to figure out like, okay, so Waymar Royce dies in the prologue. He died in a really strange way, like not in a way that happens to anybody else in the books. He's singled out. There's this weird duel. There's a bunch of others watching. Like what, what's going on? Like <laughs> why did this happen to him and nobody else? And the two of us went through a bunch of possibilities. It was like, well, maybe it's because he's a ranger. Well, no, not really, because there's tons of other rangers and none of them get dueled by the others. Um, okay, well, he's highborn. Sure, maybe that's something about it. No, there's a lot of highborn in the Night's Watch, and none of them are getting singled out like this. This is a very strange situation. Okay, what about being like a Royce or a Vale man? Maybe there's some sort of like memory or blood thing going on that makes them hate him well no again there's other members of the veil in the night's watch it's like 
none of this is happening to anybody else. What is it about Waymar that makes him unique and interesting enough um, to be a target? And just sort of running through possibilities, I just sort of said, I don't know. Doesn't um, doesn't he just kind of look like Jon Snow? <laughs> and it was actually re- it was really funny because uh, I remember the look on Mister Woodhouse's uh, face as or Will. I'm just going to call him Will just because it's easier um, on his face as he started searching through the mind palace, and he's just blinking a lot and he starts nodding his head. He's like. Yeah, he does. He looks a lot like Jon Snow. And then we pulled up the text and I was like, wow, this is like one to one. It's that chapter apart. Like they look exactly alike. They have the same like they have the same color hair. They have similar features. They have a similar background. They both become rangers in the Night's Watch. They're highborn. Um, They even have like the same body type. Oh, that's weird. Why is George doing that? Why is he putting like a Jon Snow doppelganger? in the prologue to die it's like hmm maybe we should investigate that maybe this is about Jon Snow somehow even though obviously he's not on the page during the prologue and he doesn't he doesn't even encounter the others until um for quite a while I don't I don't even know if he's seen one yet I'm pretty sure he's just seen um just some whites it's Sam that has seen the others Yeah, um, a mind dungeon. It turns out Maine's really good for uh, for theory crafting. Highly recommend it if you have access to a house on a lake up in Maine. Um, apparently it works. Bring Shandies and somebody who has a crazy memory of A Song of Ice and Fire. So then we went, uh, so then I went from there. And it was, okay, so there's this weird similarity between Waymar and John what can we do with that like is that something that comes up again is that something important like who who gives a shit like why does it matter that john and waymar ha- have like this similar background in our and look similar and again we started just pitching ideas and i was like hey you remember that weird moment with craster it's like yeah yeah what was that out of nowhere craster says john looks like a stark he has the look of a stark and again, it was one of those weird things that just started tumbling around in our head. Well, it's like, okay, so Craster does it. Does anybody else do this? Answer is no. Nobody else that John meets north of the wall says, by the way, you look like a Stark. You have the look of a Stark. Um, it is just Craster. It happens south of the wall, but that's because people know the Starks. Like, um, they have a, the gray eyes, the long face, the dark hair. What long face that's also kind of grim looking most of the time. It's it's weird how that happens. Um, and so why does Crasher have this information? Like, surely, I mean, even if you're talking about like Benjamin Stark, well, there's other people that know Benjamin Stark north of the wall. He's been in contact with people. They're not eye checking, John. This isn't like widely known information. And then you think about it like, wait, Craster also has his connection with the others. He essentially works for them in some sort of weird, familiar, sour Billy way uh, from um, Fever Dream. It's like he gives them the children. They sort of protect him. Okay, so is, is that what it is? Is it like 
they both the others and the craster both show this unusual interest in jaws in stark looking characters who have this very similar background to that kind of stuff um guilty under here didn't egret peg john for a stark uh just a highborn bastard she says that the name snow is a is an evil name basically she knows what a snow is <laughs> she doesn't know he's a stark uh, eventually it gets out and everyone's like oh well you're a stark but it's one of those moments where it's like george is shining a light on on this thing where it's like this is strange pay attention Oh, uh, super chat here from the Delphi uh, Morphia. Again, like um, if you want to super chat, the Minnesota Freedom Fund is preferred. Um, I think afterwards, anything I get super chatted, I'll probably just donate and post it on Twitter or something like that. Um, I loved your Killing of the Ranger videos. What a great idea for this live stream. Thank you. No, thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. The chat is going wild. They're talking about... Um, Egret pegging John. That would certainly put a different spin on their encounter in the cave. Okay, so the thought process thing goes, all right, so there's some connection between Crasher, the others, and looking and being interested in somebody that looks like a Stark. Um, and then to sort of ran through that again, it's like, well, have the others behaved like this anywhere else? No, no, they haven't. The uh, the only time they this is the only time they show up in mass to duel somebody. Later on, they sh they send uh, whites to go after Sam. One other shows up with like four or five Nights Watch Rangers. It's um nowhere near the same thing. The other isn't even taking it seriously. It's totally surprised when Sam stabs it. Um, because to the first men, whole bunch of whites, no others are seen in the attack. They're also not like walking up and pointing to J.R. Mormont and saying, you, we're dueling. You and me, we're doing this. Doesn't happen. Um, even the whites inside Castle Black, those are, they establish this pattern of behavior. George establishes a pattern of behavior in the prologue that he then totally abandons. The others almost always use... Um, uh, prefer not to get involved directly because, well, I mean, there's certainly some good reasons. The eye checking the sword is probably a pretty good one, but it's, it's interesting that the, the drastic change of behavior from Waymar to literally everybody else. I mean, even what uh, people have brought up after the first theory, when I posted it, um, wow, you guys are really talking about begging. God bless you. Um, if you really <laughs> make sure uh, at the next Nauticast stream that you bring up pegging quite a lot too. I know how much Jeff loves it. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, uh, the Benjen. The people have said like, well, did what happened to Waymar happen to Benjen and his men? Um, there's, it's hard to say because there is some similarities in that um, Benjen's body is missing. Most people assume he's dead. A lot think he's cold hands. Although George wrote in his in the reply to his editor saying no, not um, <laughs> that it's not Benjen, but it seems to be a similar sort of scenario. And it's like maybe maybe that is the other time this has happened. Another um, 
for Benjamin Stark and Waymar Royce, which would actually sort of tie together the idea that there's this there's this look or family history that maybe that the others are after. And this this was kind of tenuous when I put it in the original theory, and I still don't really like it, but it is a thing that um, Catelyn Stark mentions that um, recently the Starks have married into the Vale. Uh, she married. She mentions a few families. She marries mentions like the Wayne Woods. Um, I forget the other two. It's probably actually in my theory. Do I still have that open? I think I do. Uh, Waynewood, Corbray, maybe Templeton. And then afterwards, it's like, well, maybe that means that there's some sort of way that... Let me open my script back up. Well, not script outline. Um, maybe there's some sort of connection there, because the Vale tends to intermarry a lot between their lords. Maybe Waymar actually is a Stark, but like a matrilineal Stark. That would be interesting. That would certainly be something, um, because it's not just it's it's not just family names that dictate like genetics. It's obviously you can pass through the female line too. It would make sense if maybe that's why the two of them look so similar. Maybe they actually are like second or third cousins at this point. That could make sense. Um, I, I still don't really like it though. It's. Uh, it's not like the others have a family tree that they can look down. It's not like they can just unroll the, um, like, okay, so let, let me look at House Stark. Okay, so these daughters, they went to Waynewood, Templeton, and Corbray. Wait, did they go into the Royces or the Royces of the Gate of the Moon? <gasps> oh my god, this Waymar is actually a Stark. Okay, now we have to duel him. Obviously, that's not happening. So if it's important, they can recognize it in some way that is unknown. No idea what it is. Um, yeah, Anna, John is the female line too. Yes, he is a through the female line. He is a Stark. Uh, Rosinante, ah, good name. Could Waymar be Brandon Stark's bastard? Yes, that is a, a theory I proposed in my Wild Wolves video. Uh, I said that it's actually possible that instead of going through this other convoluted way through the Stark daughters marrying into the Vale, maybe it goes the other way and. Waymar is actually just a bas a wild wolf because he's actually in the right time frame to be one of Brandon's kids, which I established in the video. Not going to really go into it, but it's like, I don't know, it's like 30-40% in my head. It's like, it could be. It would certainly make sense for the connections between them. We'll never find out anyway, because Brandon Stark is long dead, so is Waymar. Nobody cares. Um, but interesting to think about. So I finished the theory, I actually worked on it for quite a long time, went through a bunch of drafts, um, posted it on Reddit, and you know, I had some I had some things that were like kind of popular before. I hit the top of the, of the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, um, gotten a few hundred upvotes, that kind of thing. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. This one, Killing of a Ranger, kind of blew the top off. Uh, it was the top post on the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit for, I think, a few days. Um, it even hit the front page of Reddit, briefly. Um, a Song of Ice and Fire post usually do not hit the regular front page, like the all 
that was something. Uh, I looked at it today. There's 501 comments, and I, I looked back because we used to be able to see views how many views like a post got as a uh, song of ice and fire mods. And it was like something around 80,000 or like 80 or 90,000 at last count, how many people had clicked on that post. Um, it was far, far beyond anything I'd ever posted. It was like the, the first like real small taste of being noticed on the internet. I mean, that is obviously the blossom as I am here on a Saturday talking to a camera to you fine folks. Um, speaking of, there's, uh, I see 137 people are in the chat right now, uh, but only 58 likes. Ugh, you guys, let's, let's bump those numbers up. Let's get that to a hundred. Let's get a hundred likes in the chat. Um, but yeah, it, it was the, the post went everywhere. I saw it on Westeros.org. It like went to like amino apps. It went to Cora. It went to everywhere. People were taking my post and cross posting it being like, wow, this is really cool. What do you guys think? And I got to see as an observer, a very surreal experience of seeing my theory being discussed by people who weren't talking to me. Um, because that's that's only what happens when you post the song of ice and fire. All the comments are just at you. They come into your inbox. Instead, people were out elsewhere on the internet talking about my thing to each other with me not involved. That was a very very strange experience, but also pretty cool. Um, sort of gets us to where we are today. It was it was that one. It also won. It tied for best new theory with the Lady Dustin post. Uh, my fellow moderator. Well, future moderator, I wasn't at the time. You can't win the awards if you're a moderator. By the way, if you're posting on Song of Ice and Fire and you nominate mods for like best of the year awards, we can't win. You're just wasting it. But anyway, um, ended up tying for that one. Got Reddit gold. It was it was really really cool, and it was. Um, really ins inspired a lot that has come afterwards. <laughs> How Joe became internet famous. Yes, I'm not internet famous. I am minor, minorly internet known among of a small community of Song of Ice and Fire fans, but sure. Uh, Bernie's apparently going to peg you if you don't hit the like button. Wow, Bernie. That is a threat. Maybe a threat. I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> so I, I wanted to talk about a little bit like. Um, so what is the problem that this that the killing of the Ranger is trying to solve? Um, I mean, I talked about initially it's why was Waymar killed, but it gets more to a larger point about the others. And it's that. It's trying to understand who they are, what they want, and where they are going in the story. Because George has given us almost no hints about any of that. The Their rationale for why the Night King of the books did what he did is really lacking in detail. It's basically just like he got ensorcelled by a magic other woman, and they had such great sex that... He turned evil, but why was he evil? What was he doing? Like, what is the point of the long night? And oh, hey, Michael Akkad. Wow, this is my first live stream, which a magician been a fan for months. I'm glad you could make it. Um, 
yeah, what, what are they doing? What, what is the point of the long night? Why why are they taking this time to kill Waymar Royce? Because if you can understand that, one of the few moments where we see them directly act, look at things, they even laugh, they talk amongst themselves, then maybe you can start to piece together their purpose beyond just being the villains of the story. Because as George has proved and many of his other villains in the story, he always they always have a reason. They always have a thing they're going for. Um, even if it's not a great one, even if it's like horrifying, like something like Euron or uh, Varamir, Ramsey, like th- there's always some some goal they're going after. And the others are completely lacking in that. And it's also kind of solving, well, it attempts to kind of solve this point that there's quite a lot among other characters that are perceived to be the savior of the story, um, the hero of legend. Like when you talk about Rhaegar, you talk about Daenerys, you talk about um, even Stannis, that's what Melisandre thinks. <laughs> um, everyone's everyone on their side there's quite a lot of people that are saying like we're gonna push you forwards you're gonna be the hero of legend and that's what the humans think that's who they think will be the one to take down the long night at some point which i always thought was interesting that like um daenerys is pushed forward as like the prince that was promised, the the hero of legend that will come to save the world, but there's not really the others aren't active. They aren't um, they aren't doing anything. It's not like they're saying this like, oh my God, Daenerys, the wall has fallen. Okay, now you need we need you to take your dragons and go north. It's just sort of a um, it's. It, there's nothing to save them from as far as everyone knows the others are dead and gone that's the general consensus um you can sort of understand that blood raven and aemon had some conception that maybe the others were coming back to life from their time on the wall or some sort of of prophecy pushing things forward but there's not a direct link between the people that are um being pushed forward as the saviors and the actual enemy they want to fight uh that's just not that's not a thing but so then let's look at the other way if the others are the great enemy, if they are the thing that have to be defeated in the story, surely they would know themselves what is the most dangerous. What do they fear? What are they acting against? It's certainly not Stannis Baratheon, and it's unclear if they even know Daenerys Targaryen exists and her dragons. Uh, maybe they do in some sort of Children of the Forest, magic-y um, kind of way. Like, maybe they have some sort of green sight. Maybe they have, like, eyesight or something crazy like that but as far as the as as far as their actions in the story they have done nothing against any of those any of those people that are prof, that are said to be their their enemies the ones that will defeat them but they have marked one character as important and it's waymar royce and if with all the connections to john and the starks this may be a backwards way for george to sort of 
give this kind of gravitas to John that he's currently lacking because nobody knows who he is. Like the fandom knows. We all know RLJ. We know he's Rhaegar's son. It looks very much like he's at least going to be an heir to the Iron Throne. He may be the prince that was promised. He may be Azor Ahai come again. All these things. But nobody's saying that about him in the story. Nobody's pushing him forwards to be those things. Oh, uh, Amy L. just donated through PayPal to Minnesota Freedom Fund. Thank you so much, Amy. It's very kind. Um, yeah. Instead of Super Chats, please give the money to the Minnesota Freedom Fund for all the protesters out there that are um, need bail money and, and legal help. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the others and John, this is their connection. This is um, this is a way to be like, well, what do they want? They clearly want to kill Waymar and Bloodraven. These are the two figures, and by and if you extend that out, then maybe then John too. These are the ones that they fear. They're also the ones that are closest. But it's interesting that this could be how George is layering that in. That he's saying John is important not because. You know, Benero of the Red Temple says he is. He's not important because Melisandre is declaring him Azor Ahai come again with Lightbringer. It's his enemy. The others are doing it. The others are saying, we think this person is important. He's worth watching out for. And I, th I find that very, very interesting. And I think that's what the, the, the first theory, anyway, is trying to get at. That it's... I mean, it, at, the, at the surface level, again, it's like, why was Waymar killed? But it's it's more than that. It's what are the others saying is the worst thing in the world to them, or what do they what do they care about? <clears throat> and also, there's the connections to the children of the forest. Um, the others maybe have some form of prophecy too. Maybe they have, like I said, like ice dreams or ice sight, or maybe even green sight. They may be green seers themselves. And they also seem to have enormously long lives. They, they seem to be functionally immortal. Um, so th this is something I thought about when I was writing it. It's like, if they are functionally immortal, do some of them have like a living memory of Azora High. Do they have a living memory of the last long night? Do they remember um, who defeated them? They remember who the commanders of the Night's Watch were, and do they look exactly like John? Like, is this a like a reincarnation thing? I mean, it very well could be. Um, I think that would be really interesting if they if they keep seeing the image of the person. Or that led the forces that defeated them, and they they have some like maybe they have some visceral reaction to him, and, or they maybe they think it's like a reincarnation thing. Um, I don't know if reincarnation is a thing in George's world, but it's very possible, especially with how long lived they are. Like certainly, Bloodraven probably knows. What the original Zora High looks like looks like. Brand probably does too. They can probably go back and see these moments through the trees as long as, um, as long as those are stored in their ancient memory banks. Like Blood Raven makes that point that like a human life is like a drop of water in like the river of time, and they can see all of it. 
So what if the others have some sort of access to something like that? They would know better than anyone living today uh, who their enemy is. They would know better than anyone else living today what, what actually happened in the past, what their rise to power looked like, how they actually did what they did. Which I find fascinating, and I, I love thinking about things from the other side because it's such a such an interesting idea. Um, Carl Karsnark says, uh, "What, in my opinion, caused the others to be awakened after so long in the first place? The Red Comet and other supernatural phenomenon. Um, it's older than the the Red Comet. I also saw that uh, Aaron M." Um, was going had already donated to the Minnesota Free Farm. She's going to donate somewhere else. Thank you so much, Aaron. That's very kind of you. Um, so what awakened them? Well, they've they've had this deal with Craster for a while. They, he has been at least practicing his systematic incest marrying of daughters for several generations at this point. Um, like Gilly is in her teens, maybe near twenty. And she's one of the younger ones. So, yeah, if you look at his age and the age of his oldest wives, there seems to be some connection between him and the others going back probably like 30, 40 years. Um, you can sort of use that as the start point of when were they active, what caused them to wake up. It, it also seems like they have always been active, but they're more active now. Like maybe... like. Uh, was it Tormund describes them as an evil mist and how do you fight the cold how do you fight the mist maybe they only recently got bodies back or something like that like for instance in the we know from like the Veramir chapters and the understanding of the green seers that there it's possible to be a disembodied soul you don't have to be in a particular body all the time like um, your soul could go into the trees. It could fly above them. It could jump from animal to animal. So entirely possible that the others have been around this whole time, but it's only in the last, like, let's say 20 to 40 years that they decided they needed bodies again. And that could be exactly what they were doing with the babies that they, they needed to essentially like possess them or use them in some kind of blood magic ritual to reform their ice bodies because their bodies are made of like they have ice bones and all this other weird crap about them they, they make everything from ice so they may be creating that from those children he's getting from craster which is Kind of terrifying, but also, you know, kind of makes sense. If you're talking about, like, George loves writing about these um, disembodied consciousnesses that end up reclaiming bodies or trying to take them for themselves. Um, very much possible. Um, I, it's sort of... Why they chose Waymar is interesting, too, because his death is is months before the main story starts. Um, for instance, he was out there with Garrett and Will, and in the books, it's Garrett who's been caught months after the the attack on, on the party down in Winterfell. 
And that's kind of where we're starting from. So if you're talking about like, is it the comet returning? Is it like Danny hatching her dragons? Is that no, it was their first entrance into the story is long before those things. So whatever they're doing, it doesn't seem to be connected to those things. Um, Uh, could uh, Desert Stormborn Charlie one one? Could the others be spirits of the dead conj uh, conjured into a reanimated body, like fire white barracks, ice preserves, fire, cons um, fire consumes? Yes, absolutely. It's it's extremely possible that their bodies are <clears throat> that they like we saw from Vermeer that this is like maybe some sort of second life for them that they take Craster's sons and possess them and then turn them into the bodies they have so could be that's that's what's going on there they they reform their bodies from the young um i did write a post once that i was like oh what is Craster secretly a Stark? Like he kind of could be in a backdoor, like weird way through House Stout, um, who seemed to be like a, a bastard off offshoot, offshoot of the Starks in Barrowton. A Stout Stark. They both kind of mean strong. How strong? Hang on. It's going to take a sip right now of this convenient, convenient cup that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Ah, Sir Winton Stout, the would-be Lord Commander on the wall that lost his election. Uh, Guilty Undertaker asks, do you think there might be some kind of like vampire fae thing going on where the others and their whites can't cross the wall uninvited? The one time we see them cross, they were taken by the Night's Watch. Great question. I don't, I don't particularly have an answer on how those whites went through the wall and were able to be controlled um, to attack people. Um, it, it could be something like that where they can't walk through themselves. Cold Hand says he can't go through the wall, um, although it doesn't explain why. It's assumed that there's some sort of barrier, like the one keeping out the undead from Blood Raven's cave. Um, an invitation or being brought through on your own seems like a fairly reasonable idea. Oh, is apparently some issues with the, the chat going on. Are you guys doing okay? Is the chat working? Um, if it's not working, I would try refreshing it uh, or maybe try like a pop-out chat that usually tends to fix things. Um, YouTube's been weird lately. Um, that's not great. Although it looks to be going fine on the actual video because you can see here next to me on the, wait, over here. The chat coming directly from YouTube is going onto the stream. So yeah, that's kind of crappy. Um, no issues. Yeah. All, all I can say is try and just refresh the stream or pop off the chat, that kind of thing. Maybe that, maybe that will fix it. Um, uh, 
but yeah, the vampire Faye thing. I mean, George does like writing about vampires. He's taking his fantasy rules from somewhere. It, that very well could be go, what's going on because it is extremely confusing how that happens. And also the fact that John and Ghost, John can't warg into Ghost when the, the wall is in between them, um, which is super strange. It's one of those weird, and there's also the moment where, um, what is it, um, Silverwing being flown by um, Good Queen Alley refused to go over the wall. That and when it got close, it got it freaked out and wouldn't do it. So there's something going on there. Um, hmm. Yeah, people are still having problems with the <laughs> having problems with the chat man just refresh a few times hopefully that sorts it out um yeah Silverwing was not a big fan um lots of things seem the wall is hugely magical um i mean it's got the black gate underneath it it's an ever frozen block of ice thousands of miles long so yeah that, that could very well be an explanation for how george is conceiving it that like you have to be invited through and then you can. Although, man, it, how does it work with John and Ghost? I don't really know. Um, oh, um, Liet Rubenfeld uh, says perhaps they can see visions through water the same way that Melisandre sees through fire. That could be very possible. There's the water wizards of the Roin that seem to have their own sort of elemental magic. Um, and there's also that weird moment where Melisandre sees Bloodraven and Bran and they see her back. So there seems to be some sort of intertwining of magical, like an inter, like, like a psychic back room where they can all see each other. Um, uh, that would, that would make sense to me. Maybe there's some sort of, yeah, like waterbenders, maybe the, maybe the other, well, they're kind of like waterbenders. They can make ice form into whatever they want. So they can make swords and armor and all that other kind of stuff. So yeah, I could see that. Um, there's no reason to think that only ah, fire has the ability to look into the, the future and look into the flames and see dreams like dragon dreams and green dreams seem to be kind of the same thing, even though there's not a ton of overlap between the between the demographics of the people that get them. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, Bran's a bloodbender. Oh my god, yeah, he is a bloodbender. He bloodbends Hodor. Oh yeah, we everyone needs to watch Avatar: The Last Airbender if you're not getting these references um, on Netflix recently. So go back and watch the whole thing. It's one of my favorite series. Um, yeah. So, and then uh, that, so that was part one. That's, that was um, killing of a ranger part one. That was sort of the backstory, trying to understand the others and their relationship to John and how that male, like, what is the interest there trying to define what they want, who they think their enemy is, what is, what is worth it for them. Killing a Ranger Part 2, which again came out just before uh, Season 8, or I think during Season 8, uh, I had been working on that one for a long time, is more of a prediction 
Um, it was less of an explainer and it was trying to say like, okay, so let's assume that killing of a ranger part one is correct. That there is some sort of weird relationship between John and the others that they're sort of destined to fight each other, which is also definitely a part of John's story. Um, his enemy is almost always the others. They are being set up from the very start to be in conflict with themselves. Unlike, like I said, with the other Azor High candidates where they have really no very few connections to the North and the others. Only Stannis really has one recently and everyone is, sort of seems to be on the same page that Stannis is going to eat shit and die. So not going to happen there. Um, and I honed in on this idea when you look back at that duel between Waymar and the others that it's this returning concept that George and actually Dan and Dave picked up and put it in the show that um, it's called the old way. Um, it has, it has a couple other names. You can also call it like uh, trial by combat um, sometimes known as a duel, but it's specifically called out as this idea where when there's a conflict between like two rulers or two factions, and their armies are formed, they um, they can solve their differences by essentially just fighting each other one-on-one. -on -one. And the winner of the duel wins the war or the battle without the armies ever having to fight. Oh, um, I'll see you later, Courtney. Uh, she's going off to rail against the establishment with Eliana of Girls Gone Cannon and Wendy Nerd. Yep. Thanks for stopping by, Courtney. Uh, yeah, stay safe out there. Um, good luck with the protesting. <laughs> uh, Luminous Rain says, oh gosh, what if the others think they won the war? Um, I think no, because they started laughing at Waymar and they realized the sword wasn't like Bringer because they were, they were eye-checking the sword really hard. Like They all studied it and they froze in fear when he raised the sword like, oh shit, is this Lightbringer? Is this Valyrian Steel? Is this who we're looking for? And then they realized, no, this is just a regular sword. This is just a guy that kind of looks like who we're looking for. Then they laughed and they killed him and they went on with their day. Um, uh yeah, uh, Reuven uh, Radmacher says that is also a common uh, concept in Greek mythology and also like actual culture. Absolutely. This is not something George made up. It's it's a it is definitely an idea. You see it all the time in other forms of popular culture. The leaders can duel to end the war, basically. And it is something that is interesting that the others have a concept of that, that what they do to Waymar is exactly the same thing that happens elsewhere in the story. Like, um, Waymar has Will and Garrett behind him. The other has his others behind them. But they are both staying out. They are all staying out of the fight. Um, I mean, Will is f uh, frozen in fear, and Garrett doesn't know there's a fight going on. But even still, the others are abiding by this idea that the one-on-one -on -one fight is um, is something important to them. Oh, up to 95 likes, it looks like. 96. Oh. If we get to 100, I'll put on the wizard hat for a little bit. It's up over, it's up over here above the bottles. You can't see it. I have my wizard hat still. Um, oh, okay. So that went up over it. All right.
my Gandalf hat. <laughs> it's gonna ruin my hair, though. Oh no, it's backwards. Oh wait. There we go. It's always around. I just don't put it on all the time. It's also hard to get the right like curve in the hat. It's got a weird thing in it. Uh, you may be seeing this hat more often though. Wink wink at San Rickson. Um, yeah, we'll wear this for a little bit. <laughs> Thank you guys for getting it over uh, <laughs> 100 likes. Uh, if we get to 150, I'll put on the Gurm hat. There we go. Great. Adding, adding goals. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the, the, the idea of this, this old way, it continues to come up and up and up again. And I sort of started thinking about it. It's like, if the others respect this, then that's a way that they can be abused. That's a way that you can use that against them. Uh, because most of the, um, <laughs> San Rixian's literally drawing hats right now. Uh, yes, I would be a, a Raven's, I would be a Ravenclaw, Carl Karsnark. Um, because every other time it comes up in the books, everyone says no. And they always give the same reason. They say that, why would I accept this duel? Because the person that usually offers the old way combat is the person that is losing. For instance, uh, it is Courtney Penrose that challenges Stannis after Stannis has killed Renly and taken up all the troops and is essentially sieging Storm's End. Courtney says, well, me and you can fight or we'll get some champions and they'll fight and they'll decide who gets to hold Storm's End. And Stannis essentially goes like, what do you think? I'm an idiot. No way I'm going to do this. Like this only favors you. This is ridiculous. And that's why so often it doesn't come up. Like even trial by combat or other similar concepts are basically the last, the last, um, the last resort of somebody that's in deep shit. <laughs> but the others, they're not in deep shit versus William R. Royce. They have, um, there's like six or seven of them surrounding him. He is just one guy in the woods, but they think, for some reason, that it's in their interests to duel Waymar Royce, even though they are afraid of him. Like, they are afraid, at least for a moment, that this actually is Zora High, that this is the... Yeah, there we go. You guys can see the curve then. The the prince that was promised, the, the one that will defeat them. And that sort of gives you a way that maybe you could use that against them. Uh, in the show, this also came up. Um, Jon Snow challenges Ramsay Bolton at the Battle of the Bastards to this old way combat that the two of them will fight to the death. And the... Um... <laughs> Apparently people are very much enjoying my Gandalf hat. It is a nice hat. I thought about wearing it gardening, but I, I think it's too floppy. See, just kind of flops around. It's kind of supposed to be like this, but then it just kind of curves like there's foam in here and then like it feels like a metal thing or like a plastic bend that holds the shape. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So Jon Snow explicitly challenges Ramsey Bolton to it. Ramsey says, yeah, I would be a fool to take it. And then it reverses 
afterwards where Ramsey, after losing the battle, he's back in Winterfell. He says to John, I accept your challenge. I, I will take this, this old way fight. If I win, I get to keep Winterfell and you have to, <laughs> you have to run away. And it's that kind of switch of situation that maybe John and um, Bran perhaps could exploit going forwards. So, the way that you get somebody to agree to this this kind of fight is that you make it you make the it worth it for them. You put them in a situation where this the you essentially bait them into it. And I talked about the I made a connection to Lord of the Rings, where Aragorn essentially does this to um, to Sauron after they've won the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Um, Frodo still has not dropped the the ring into uh, Mount Doom. So they have won the battle, but they have not won the war. And Aragorn reasons out that, you know, we can essentially bait Sauron into emptying his land so that Frodo has a clear shot at Mount Doom. And he picks up the uh, Palantir and he holds up the sword and, and essentially says to Sauron, come get me, I'll fight you. Shows up at the gates, at the Black Gates in Mordor. Hey, another Black Gate. Weird about that. And Sauron does exactly that. It is not in Sauron's favor to do this. Essentially what Aragorn's plan was is that he played on the emotions of Sauron and his his weaknesses and personality. In particular that he really, really wants to kill Aragorn. He really, really wants to kill Gandalf and everyone that has been that has just defeated him he can use the rage of the lindless eye in order to um in order to bait him and it absolutely works and this is something that i was like oh this is a cool idea you could use that with this old way idea and trap the others or trap the night king which is what the theory was i didn't exactly nail that one though but i did actually um I did nail the scenario, which was kind of a weird, bittersweet thing where it was like um, Dan and Dave and uh, and the season eight did actually have the scenario play out. They used Bran essentially as the bait, placing him in the Weirwood Grove and. Oh, hang on, there's a good point up here somewhere. Oh no, they're talking about floppiness. Oh good, more dick jokes. I mean, on brand. Uh, 117 likes, so 33 away from me putting on that tiny hat that doesn't fit on my head that I wore during the um, <laughs> the stream I did with Bookshelf Stud talking about the House of the Undying. Um, but yeah, th that happened in season eight. And... Theon essentially plays the role that I thought John would, where he challenges Night King to one-on-one -on -one combat with the bait behind him, Bran, aka Aragorn, or and his challenge to Sauron. And the delay is essentially what allowed Arya to sneak past the the others because they're all zoned in on this Waymar Royce-like um scenario playing out before them. And that's how they end up killing him. 
But it's noted that Dan and Dave, um, after the season ended, said that they initially envisioned that scene to be John. That would be him instead of Theon and Arya that would um, that would have played that role. So in a weird way, I did predict that. I did get it right. Like In, in a weird way, the Killing of a Ranger Part 2 is correct, but they ended up changing it away. I like read the tea leaves on them correctly. But then they changed it. So that's that's kind of how it goes. Um, but yeah, the old way combat did come up. The they respected the fight between Theon and the Night King in the same way they respected the fight between the other and Waymar in the first in the opening scenes. Um, the bait was there in that they thought that Waymar was somebody important, and they know Bran is important. Like. Check, 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 check. So this is something that I think is, while the show didn't end up doing it um, the way that they initially planned to, there's good reason to think that Joe, I mean, that um, that George may end up going that way. All of these, all the hints that I laid out in Killing of a Ranger Part 2 are basically present in the books, too, in different forms. Um, and I don't think George <laughs> would end up changing his his big plot point of who slays the others or, um, Oh God, you guys are actually going to try and make me wear that silly hat. Aren't you? <sighs> this is like the thing on Patreon where if I get to 50, I'm going to talk about, um, meat house man. And I don't want to, but I'm at 45 right now. We get to 50 and then I'm going to do it. And it's like, this feels linked to me in my head. <laughs> I need to think I think I need to think of goals that aren't gonna that I'm not that I look forward to more I don't want to wear that tiny hat um hey uh thanks for coming uh Red Rum Review first time in your stream seen you in collaborations and I'm glad I caught it yeah cool glad you got to see them just me talking with a silly hat on um so yeah I, I think even though there's no Night King character in the books that is a dan and dave creation um <laughs> oh uh wheezy squeeze bots what is meat house man so mean house man is one of george's old stories um because he used to be mostly a sci-fi author he set the meat house man in the thousand worlds universe his sci-fi thing and um it's one of his darkest stories. It's very much like the Veramir prologue that I talked about last week. There's a lot of overlap between those characters and what it's talking about. So looking forward to that. Uh, but yeah, so there's a very good chance that the, the others must have some sort of leader. Like there has to be something or someone in charge. It doesn't have to be the, you know, spiky head night king of the show who if you kill him they all fall apart but you know they probably do have some hierarchy we know that I mean, even among the ones that showed up to do a waymar one of them was chosen to go forward so they're not identical or probably not they also laugh and they talk which um you know it, it's it's it seems to i mean even the original story of the book night king is that he was the lord commander and leader so um whatever it is that leads the others there's a good chance that this 
the killing of the ranger old way idea has has a chance of opening up a scenario that seems impossible and that may be kind of maybe blood raven and eventually brand's plan that they plan to use john as like living bait uh since they seemingly are so interested in him or for whatever reason that is it could even be his his targaryen spicy blood <laughs> uh Luma's rain asked they laugh for sure but do they talk yes the language is called scraw it sounds like um, ice breaking on a lake or something like that. Uh, but yeah, at least in the legends, there's there's the idea that there is something or somebody in charge. Um, maybe it's something kind of like the Undying, where the, the the physical Undying sitting in the chairs are like the others, and there's like a blue heart, or they call it like the Heart of Winter, uh, and Bran's vision of the far north. Um, could be something along those lines it doesn't even have to be like a physical thing although it could get a physical form like like i was talking about with how maybe they're using crashers babies to possess and then um and probably use that to make their bodies like if there is like some sort of arch spirit or something like that in charge of the others that is doesn't have a body now maybe it could get it in the future uh that's that's another possibility that i raised in my videos that one of the ways they could maybe duel john or that they would want to duel john is so that they could claim his body maybe there's something about being a stark and a targaryen a warg and a dragon rider that is interesting for them maybe that's something they would want um I mean, like in the Veramir chapter, um, he notes that the gift of his his psychic powers, which is what skin changing are, won't pass from his body to the next body. But John's body, it is those things. It has those magical powers. So maybe it would be a good host body. His body would be a good host for whatever leads the others if it wants one again. That could be interesting. Um, who named the language? I think it was David Peterson, the guy that, um, and I think George too. I think they, they named it Scraw. Sounds kind of like a cough sort of thing. Uh, wow. The, the others are connected to the children of the forest and ravens and crows. Weird. Just another way. Um, Maester's on still holding out that the Night's Queen is the Amethyst uh, princess or empress. Yeah, the Night's Queen is an interesting idea. Um, like what happened to her? It, was that a historical thing? Is she still around? I wrote a theory once that I thought that she was trapped under Winterfell. That um, that the entire castle was built as a prison for her, essentially as a permanent hostage to the others. Because all the others we have seen book and show are all males um but it's and there's only one female maybe there's something like a queen bee aspect to her where she's like there can only be the one female and if they got her back maybe they wouldn't need to be doing this weird shit that they're doing with crashers kids um i don't think so like the night's queen is a pretty small reference 
and there's nothing really to say that I mean, there's, you can make a lot, of, a lot of speculation, like parts of the Winterfell crypts are caved in. Like maybe she's behind the caved in part, or maybe she's underneath like that very deep pool at the um, Winterfell Godswood. Like that, that could be true. That would certainly be a fantasy trope. Um, it'd be kind of cool. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, but you know. Uh, no, it's never mentioned what happened to the Night's Queen. It's just said that she and the Night King ruled from the Night Fort for 13 years or something like that. And then Brandon the Breaker and the King Beyond the Wall um, dethroned them. It's not even clear if like if anyone died, what actually happened. Who knows? It's like a 5,000-year-old story. It's like trying to divine truth from Gilgamesh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's like that level of old from the current timeline. So who knows what it actually is? Um, actually, one of my favorite uh, tinfoils about the Night Queen was what if the drowned god is about her? Maybe she's quote-unquote drowned because she's at the bottom of that pool. That she's like dead and being held in suspension. Kind of like that. That'd be kind of fun. I don't think so though. It's there really hasn't been much talk about her. Um, there's it's basically a throwaway line. So there may be a leader, but I don't know. It'd be kind of cool. That's what that that's what the theories about the Night Queen come down to. For maybe like it would be cool. Like there's a lot of interesting, like high fantasy fantasy-ish stories you could write about her and how she relates to it, but it doesn't seem to be a way that George is going. Um, um, oh, so there was a question at the top that I said I would get back to from uh, Kitty Cromerdo. She says, do you think there must always be a Stark in Winterfell because of their blood of the first men or more specific or more bloodlines specific to the others. That's one of those things that is super interesting to think about because why do people think there always must be a Stark in Winterfell? Well, you can think about it from the magical sense. Like they clearly are wargs. They have they are family with green sight. They um, are somehow related to the others. They well, it's said that the Night King of historical record was a Stark. So there can be Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's like some sort of magical spell that if the Starks leave Winterfell, something bad happens with the others. Um, doesn't uh, doesn't seem to be a lot to that because the others have been active for a while while there have been Starks in Winterfell. So not much there. Um, I think it's. I tend to think it's just like a practical thing that when there's Starks in Winterfell, the. Um, there's some kind, it's just like essentially like a good thing for the rest of the North. Like they have stable rule. They, um, they take care of their vassals. Um, there's that line that with the Boltons in charge that like people are afraid to even go down the roads because there's a sense of lawlessness with the loss of the steady hand of the Starks. I mean, it could just be something like that. Um, Yeah. 
it's um it's it's hard to say because George definitely loves talking about these bloodlines and magical bloodlines like that's the whole thing about the Targaryens that they are magical and different and that's essentially why they do their incesting that it's like some sort of mechanism to ensure they keep being dragon lords I guess um so is there something like that for the Starks um I am not sure. I imagine that if there's a connection with like bloodline magic stuff with the Starks, it would be between them and the others. Like maybe it's really easy for them to take over a Stark body or something like that. I, I tend to go with the practical reasoning though, because if there's some kind of magical incantation or something that like removing the Starks from Winterfell breaks, then um, I don't know what it is because it doesn't seem like anything like that has happened. It's not like Brand. It's not like the Starks left Winterfell and then shit started going crazy. It was going crazy before they left. So yeah, I don't really know. Um, it'd be interesting if it had like something to do with the wall or something like that. Um, Uh, Laura Seven Anne says, "If the thirteenth Lord Commander was the Night King, that implies thirteen generations between the Wall being built and the Long Night. What keeps triggering the attempted Long Nights? Well, well, first of all, the thirteenth Lord Commander um, does not mean that there was thirteen generations. It just means there were twelve Lord Commanders before him. And if you're in a if you're a battle against the others, you can sort of imagine that the first Lord Commanders did not have long reigns, so to speak." like uh being killed in battle um starvation like it, it it could very well be a thing where like the first nine lord commanders of the night's watch died within two weeks of each other so it doesn't have to be a long time in between them it could very well be within like 13 lord commanders during the long night um it is sort of an interesting idea, though, of um, what is the actual history of the Night's Watch? When was the wall built? When were the castles built? I tend to think that the the castles were mo that some of the castles, at least the Night Fort, were pre-existing the wall. Um, Rod, damn it! You really want to see me wear that tiny weird hat, don't you? We're at 130 likes. Get to 150, I'll swap hats and I'll put on. Wait, where is it? I got a germ hat. So, but yeah, I think the night fort is probably pre-existing the wall. That the wall um, went up afterwards. It seems like I have no fake beards. I tried one and it was too itchy and it doesn't look good. Um, it'd be interesting if it, I, I think there's probably the long night and then the Lord commander or the night King tried to essentially um, <clears throat> bring them back in some way. Like a, that would be an attempted second long night. Um, and as to why they keep happening, uh, I think you don't have to look any further than <clears throat> that the others have tremendous power. They have 
the ability to raise the dead. They have the built, they are supernatural beings that appear to used to be humans. And not only that, they are basically functionally immortal. Like a immortality is a generally a thing people would like. So I, I don't, I don't find it that confusing that humans would continue worshiping or associating with them or trying to become them. Like, yeah, the the corruption of power and what they offer is pretty great. <laughs> well, relatively. I mean, you end up becoming a weird ice demon and you control the dead, but it's like there's definitely a you can see why there's an allure to them. That why um why somebody like the Night King of the Legend would be like, Wow, this is great. Like I'll I'll help out the others. Um it could be sort of like a Faustian bargain, though, where you make the deal for power and you don't really understand what you're getting into. And then all of a sudden, everything uh, is much worse than you think. I mean, that's like that's put in a very simple way, like uh, in Pirates of the Caribbean, the the first one where there's where um, <laughs> Barabosa essentially bemoans being immortal because it removed everything good about being a human. Like that kind of idea could definitely be something that happens. Um, let's see here. <laughs> the fine print always gets it. Yeah. Every, it looks great to be an immortal ice psychic demon with hordes of armies at your command, but it's probably less great when you realize that like you're not a human in any sense of the way anymore. You are something else. Yeah, Guilty Undertaker. Immortality, immortality not being cracked up is quite an old trope. Like, even Midas's touch is the idea. It's like, never eat. The gods only grant your wishes when they want to punish you. So. Oh, apparently SpaceX is launching in four minutes. Neat. Uh, we'll be going till four o'clock. Um, and then afterwards, at five o'clock, um, Radio Westeros will be going live with their stream on Sansa. And they'll be talking to uh, Chloe of um, Girls Gone Canon. You may remember her from the House Dane stream I did, like, I guess a month ago now. Wow, time is flying. Um, but yeah, definitely check that out afterwards. Um, so yeah, I'm at the end of my doc, so just like, let's do a full Q and a on this. Let's, um, start throwing questions at me. Um, anything related to the others, John Winterfell, the wall, that kind of stuff, or just kind of whatever. Let's, let's spend those last 40 minutes having fun with tinfoil. Um, Isabel Lamego wants to know, could the heart of winter be a castle? Like Winterfell is the fiery heart of the North. Um, from Bran's vision, it kind of, it's unclear what it is. It, I, I, if I had to guess if there's a physical heart of winter, that it's very similar to whatever the undying worship, that, that uh, glowing blue heart in Karth and the, that those old men are sitting or oh, that those uh, essentially blue corpses sit around. I mean, that's That sounds very similar to the others to me. I, I would expect that if there's a real heart of winter, it's something similar to that. 
Um, Oh yeah, and uh, just a reminder, if you're thinking about saying any super chats or super stickers or whatever, um, Steven Stark drop or Here Be Dragons dropped a uh, a link up above. We send them to the Minnesota Freedom Fund instead of to me. Um, I guess if you do send them to me, I'll just donate them, so whatever. But if you give it directly to them, YouTube doesn't take a cut. I don't know if you guys know this, but if you send a super chat, YouTube takes like 40 or 50% or something like that, so... Um, at plus taxes. So if you want the full amount to go to the Minnesota Freedom Fund, I would give it to them directly from PayPal. Um, unless for some reason you really want to reward YouTube for their awesome service. Um, Goli, Gauli, Julie, I really sure I pronounced that. Um, the Sithi are a matriarchal society, and George said the White Walkers are like frozen Sithi. I always. I always pronounce that wrong. I'm sure I'm doing it wrong. I think the Night's Queen is the more important of the two. Um, yeah, that could definitely be what he's referencing there. Um, I would think if there was going to be a Night's Queen that she would be more prominent. We hear a lot more about <clears throat> the Night King. He comes up in different stories where she's like a one-line throwaway. So it's sort of... If she's showing up, it would have to be like a very big reveal and going against his interest already. Um, ooh. Rod, damn it. What are your thoughts on John swapping spots with the Night King? A sacrifice for all mankind seems like a very John thing to do. Um, yeah, that, that could be a possibility for what, what uh, might happen with John and the others in the end, like I talked about, maybe they want his body. I've also, I speculated in the second video that maybe if he and Danny have a child, maybe they would like the child, uh, like the prince that was promised. Maybe it's a promise of a sacrifice of a prince. Like maybe like that's a, that's a part of memory, sorrow and thorn spoiler alert that the, um, the humans made a deal with the Sithi to, Oh, she is pronounced she. I'm sorry. They made a deal with the she in order to give them a prince at some point, And that ends up being a major part of the plot. I would that would make sense to me if George has some version of that. Um, I, I tend to think, though, that if there's some sort of deal between John and the others, that it will essentially be kind of like what happened in the show, where whatever that thing is they want, that's going to be the bait in order for whatever ends up happening to defeat them. Sorry about pronouncing that very wrong, you guys. I'm sure your ears are burning. Pronounce she. Okay, got it. Um, although I do like the idea of John like, taking the place of the Night King. Um, I don't know if any of you guys played World of Warcraft, but that's essentially the idea behind... Um, that is used for the, um, the Lich King, where there's this idea that there always must be a Lich King. So when Arthas dies, uh, the mantle is taken up by Bolvar for a dragon and in his place that um, there has to be a jailer of the dam sort of thing. That would be an interesting plot point, too. It would be bittersweet if he saved the world but became the enemy. Um, yeah, that would be kind of cool. 
Uh, Guilty Undertaker says, in the book so far, the others act more like ambush predators and ever-present but unseen threat. Do you think we'll see a full-fledged army of the dead or just ever-increasing danger? Well, we have seen an army of the dead. The attack on the Fist of the First Man was a display of their power. They sent a lot of whites, including their their zombie bear at the night's watch. Um, I assume after the wall falls or as it gets closer to it falling that um, from somebody's POV, we'll probably see the full army of the dead. Um, Maybe from the top of the wall or from the perspective of somebody running away after the wall falls and the whites just rushing through the breach. Um, And definitely when we get to the, the long the second long night, whatever that kind of is. Um, yeah, I expect we'll see the others. It seems to be that they will only reveal themselves when they feel totally safe or for this old way dual kind of thing. So those would be the scenarios where their victory is almost assured or they've baited them out with, um, with John or child or something like that. Apparently, San Rixian, um, who cried for the rich, the lich king in, in wrath. Uh, I do love Arthas's story. It's a really good um, fall from grace for the character you start off playing as a hero. Turns evil, but he's doing it for good reasons. He ends up killing a lot of people, and just the total descent into darkness, kind of like a, um, kind of like an Anakin figure. It is always interesting when a um, when a when a character you like ends up falling in that way. Um, let's find another question. um so um question here from reuven rad radmarker radmacher whatever uh what are your thoughts about blood raven being uh guessing this is french bene gesser or something like Gesser, and cultivating the bloodline for John. Is there something similar going with the male Stark line with always being in Winterfell? Uh, that's something Indie Geek has been talking about a lot. Um, he's his thesis for what Blood Raven is doing is that he's been trying to create like the perfect magical bloodline, and that's all what all of his manipulations have been about. He's trying to like create all of these things. Um, I don't know about that. Um, he seems involved with giving the Starks their dire wolves. It seems very likely that he's the one that did it, him or Bran, that he somehow got the dire wolf south of the wall and maybe manipulated somehow the pregnancies so there were enough wolves for each of the kids. Or maybe that was a happy accident. Maybe it was like a moment of destiny sort of thing. I, I tend to be against the idea that Blood Raven is behind everything, that Blood Raven has some super awesome ever-present plan that is um and he's just like manipulating everything behind the scenes it's um 
I don't know. That, that touch scene, it's, it makes that figure almost like, like a God. And, um, it's also unclear why that would work. Like, what is it about the, about like these special bloodlines that would make them so great? Like, what are we even talking about? What, what does like creating the Stark and the Targaryen super bloodline child like practically mean? I, I don't even know. It's not even clear what John can do that nobody else can except at this point it appears that he may be a warg and a skin chain and a dragon rider at the same time if it, it goes the same way as the show so i don't really i don't know it's it seems like he's more interested in bran anyway um although he does mess with john i i don't yeah it's not one, it's one of those things where I don't think we have enough information about what he's doing. I think we'll probably get more of that in the winds of winter about what his goals are, how he's going about them, what he cares about um, through Bran and his um, his ever deepening connection to the Weirdwoods. I'm sure at that point we'll get a better understanding of what he is. It's just, I don't know. I don't even know what it would do. It's like, is it why does fulfilling the prophecy mean a thing like Danny fulfilling the prophecy means that she has three dragons that's surely more important than having a special mix of blood right well anyway that's what I think um oh no Lady Leaf Underhill such a disagreement with Deep Geek yeah I know that's one of his things that he really loves and I, I don't I don't see it yet and I don't even really like that kind of that kind of character. Like uh, George has been on the record of saying, like he doesn't want to make he doesn't want to make the emperor essentially, or he doesn't want to make like a super ever present magical figure that's controlling everything that he finds that less interesting. That he likes limited characters who are flawed in some way, which I think is the uh, whole point of Old Blood Raven. Um, okay, so <laughs> yeah, uh, pronouncing Irish words is not fun, especially for a uh, a simple American. <laughs> oh. You guys beat Arthas on heroic difficulty, Charlie one one. That's that's good. I ended. I got invincible, which felt good. Um, although I had to do it during a different expansion, I went back and farmed Ice Crown Citadel until I got it. Oh yeah, yeah. I know that the plot is from Dune. That the plotting of that the creation of the um, what's his name. Um, the God Emperor is a major plot point in that, but uh, that's Dune. It, uh, like, <laughs> if it's if it's supposed to create the God Emperor, then it didn't because that's what Bran seems to be. So I don't really what, what if if that's so important, then 
didn't really produce the the future god emperor that Bran seems to be. It's like then what is what's the point of making John it? Um, I th- I I just think we need more information about what Blood Raven is doing that I'm sure Bran will give us in the Winds of Winter. It's too much guesswork. Um. Yeah, Jaded Redhead says, when in doubt, blame Blood Raven, otherwise blame Littlefinger. That that's sort of a typical thing in the fandom where um that these guys are perfect manipulators. That everything's under control. They got um they're pushing all the pieces around the chessboard, but then George also puts in the line that sometimes the problem is that the pawns move on their own. So it's like, yeah. That Paul Atreides, yeah, that's it. Oh, Rosonante wants to know, could Longclaw be Dark Sister in disguise? Um, I don't think so. Um, Dark Sister looks very different from Longclaw, and the Mormont sword did not like come out of nowhere. They've had it for a long time. So um, I think Dark Sister will show up. I think probably during um, whatever George's version of Hold the Door is when the Cave of Bloodraven is attacked and they're running out, I imagine that probably Mira will find Dark Sister, not know what it is, and just start using it because she needs a sword, and it turns out to be wildly effective. Um, but I don't think it's going to be like... It probably won't be a huge plot point or anything. Like, nobody knows it's there, so it, it can't be that impactful. And actually, um, I was talking in the Song of Ice and Fire uh, mod Slack, and the, um, what's his name? Uh, Zahn pointed out that Dark Sister is actually not ever mentioned by name and neither is Blackfire in the main books of A Song of, a Song of Ice and Fire. Um, yeah, it's, it's the names of those swords are only in the uh, other materials, which is interesting. So if they show up, if Dark Sister shows up, I think it will just be like an Easter egg for the fans that um, really like Blood Raven and the extra stories about um, Dark Sister's role and the uh, Targaryens going back to like Aemon the Dragon Knight and I think Daemon Targaryen. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of my conception. Hmm. Uh, Guilty Undertaker says, like Dr. Manhattan, I think Blood Raven is just a puppet that can see the strings. I don't think he's anywhere like Dr. Manhattan. I don't think that's what's going on with him. I think if the children had the ability that, like, had, like, Dr. Manhattan or um, God Emperor of Doom-like abilities, they would not be where they are. They would be in charge. And they're not. They've, they've, they lost the war against the Andals. They lost the war against the First Men. They've been penned in by the others. So I think the point of them is that they are not these omnipotent beings unless they're running like a 10,000 year strategy to win, which seems crazy to me. Uh, good point by Adrian Birchall. Uh, there's always a Stark in Winterfell. The swords on their tombs are to keep them there. Yeah, they do. They are one of those weird families that have this very odd tradition of burying their dead in these, um, in these crypts directly beneath the castle, underneath the oldest part of the castle. Uh, that's one of those things where it's like, maybe that's where the Night Queen is, is because the old keep is the oldest part and so are the crypts. Uh, I've heard good theories before that maybe Winterfell actually used to be a Children of the Forest City, 
that it kind of resembles Blood Raven's cave in that way, especially when Bran describes it as like this uh, this giant stone tree and that kind of thing. Like maybe it's like a human version of a Children of the Forest city, and perhaps there's something magical about it, like there is about Blood Raven's cave and the uh, Black Gate. That would be cool. I would I would enjoy that. I think I did. Um, yeah, the Crimson Winterfell are super interesting. I love thinking about like it. It's also like one of those things like that is unique and weird in A Song of Ice and Fire. Like, there's kind of something similar with the Barrows and the in Barrowton, and kind of something like that with the Lannisters and Casterly Rock. But we also know that Casterly Rock was a Children of the Forest uh, enclave first. Then it was taken by the Casterlies, then taken by the Lannisters from them. So if those are supposed to be parallels, then yeah, that would make sense if Winterfell used to be some kind of important place for the um, important place for the uh, for the children. Oh God, we're up to 141 likes and 150. Remember, I'm going to change my hat to the silly one that doesn't sit, fit on my head, and it's going to look really ridiculous. So you like seeing me look silly? Hit that like button. Also, the sh the show um, with their whole raising the dead of Winterfell thing is something that I think it's definitely going to happen. Just probably not like that. Like it's it's like a, it's a Chekhov's crypts. You're fighting necromancers who seem to be going towards Winterfell at some point, have a real problem with the Starks, and you have all these corpses for them. Like, yeah, probably they're going to rise from the dead, and it'll probably be horrible. It will probably be like true George terror levels of awful. Um, especially if some of the characters still look like themselves. And it's not just the lords that are down there either. The lords get the statues, but um, other people are buried in there. Like Liana's down there. Um, that's something that people were like, oh no, these these characters don't get don't get buried in the crypts. Not most, all the Starks get buried in the crypts. It's just that they don't all get the statues with the uh, with the swords and the direwolves. Oh God, four away, 146 likes. God damn it! I really should not promise these things. Um, yeah, Car Carsnark. The strangest part of the crypts is that they were reverse filled, and there's a predetermined number of tombs. Exactly. They're going. They're already carved out. It looks like, and they're going deeper up that's backwards that's totally backwards most crypts go you start at the top and as you need more levels then you dig down and you keep going like that it's it's like this weird countdown for the starks where somehow like and they're almost they're almost out of spots like i'm sure they could carve more but they're almost out of spots for the crypts, and it seems like there's exactly the right amount for the Stark family. Oh, oh that's that's really disappointing. Um, I am unhappy about this. I just want to let all of you know I am unhappy. <laughs> Does not fit on my head. It is too small.
I hope you're all proud of yourselves. You made this happen. <laughs> all I need is a little turtle thing right here, and I got it. I think I kind of look like I should be like Fiddler in the Roof or something. <laughs> or like a train engineer. I hate this. How does George wear a hat like this? It doesn't even cover anything. It's not covering your face. <laughs> uh, <sighs> yep. This is what we're doing today. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's a little turtle symbol. I think he says it's a, a Greek sailor's hat. That's what he wears. But George also has a... Um, I'm going to look this up. Hang on. George R. R. Martin hat. Actually, that's one of the, my favorite things about George's Twitter. Is he always posts pictures of him wearing stupid hats. It's one of my favorites. Um, I don't have suspenders, though. I can't really pull it off. A Greek fisherman's hat, that's what it is. Yeah, I don't know why he likes that hat, but he wears it. Oh, yeah, I have, a, I have a big head, so... I have a large Irish uh, squash of a head, so... That's how it goes. Um, <laughs> wow, that's actually kind of impressive. There's 167 people watching. We got 152 likes. Like, you know, people come and go, but that's hard to do. It's not often you get almost as many likes as you have viewers, especially when the, uh, you get bigger numbers of people in. Um, so it's got 15 minutes left. Uh, then we're going to go offline and get ready to watch Chloe and Rita Westeros at five. Um, and probably like eat or something or no i, I have other stuff I, I have to write that's right i have to finish my theory the Aegon, how he takes storms end thing um who do i think is going to be the thousandth lord commander or do you think the 999th will be the last i've always liked the idea that theon will end up lord commander at the night's watch um that's something he's been thinking about for a while it's been suggested to him by maester lewin um that would be my favorite if he ended up doing that um there's other good ideas like uh maybe like ed or something like that um Jamie Lannister is a possibility, but I don't think he's going to make it to the end of the story. Um, yeah, Theon would probably be my pick. Kind of a redemption. Um, what am I even a redemption? Just like he gets to be just Theon, losing his houses, that kind of thing. It won't. No, it will not be Stannis. Stannis is next level dead. Uh, Rosinante says, could it be that Winifel actually started underground during the long night like Moltown, so the crypt would be along you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it could be a children of the forest cave, or it could just be a cave structure they lived in. Um, George has written before about cave people and um, people hiding out underground while crazy things are going up on the surface. 
Um, and it just makes sense. Like, yeah, if, if there's a long night and there's dead things everywhere, then surely you would take shelter when you could, especially if there's no uh, sunlight. Um... Yes, I do have no one to blame but myself. I did make this promise. I need to make better promises, I think, is the idea here. Um, um, Miriam Baratheon says, The Starks were in Winterfell for almost 8,000 years, which is actually just really impressive. Like, the same family for 8,000 years in one castle never happens. It's That's one of the biggest fantasies of A Song of Ice and Fire. Like, even nowhere in real life is there anything like that. Houses rise and fall, they die out, um, plagues, war, that kind of stuff. It's unbelievable they've managed to stay in Winterfell for 8,000 years, even though we do know they started off as just petty kings. But just conquering and holding the north for that long is insane. No, Adrian, that won't be happening. If we get to 200 likes, Bernie will peg the entire chat. There we go. Since we're not going to get there, I think I'm safe making that promise. Um, <laughs> I guess I do kind of look like I'm in the newsies now. Uh, Laura seven and says, what does Davos's endgame look like? Um, that's a good question. It's in the show. A lot of people before the season started, I think, including me, were we're thinking that maybe Davos will end up like a hand of the f king figure to whoever ends up in charge. Like, obviously, we thought maybe John or Danny. Whoops. The greatest story ever with Bran happened. Um Davos managed to live through the whole way. I don't think George is going to kill Davos. I think he probably will live to the end. Um, and, you know, he's been a pretty good hand of the king to Stannis. He's a useful person. He's got a level head. He's got a good perspective. Um, like the exact kind of, kind of thing that Varys and Illyrio have been trying to push forward through uh, young Griff with uh, somebody in charge who has a perspective more on the ground like that's literally what davos has so i think his end game will probably be in whatever the power structure is at the end of the books um although he's going to be definitely a broken person because it will be it will hurt him the most when stannis bergen and if he has to watch that or if he has to figure out it happens later whatever one it is it's like going to emotionally break him. Although at least in the in the books, he still has some children, I think, and his wife. So there's something there for him to hold on to. But <laughs> what's wrong, Bernie? You made this promise earlier. I thought you would like it. <laughs> um. Uh, 
A guilty undertaker says, what do you think of the Gorn's way theory might be a way for brand and company to get south of the wall? So the Gorn's way theory is essentially that there's this cave system underneath the wall that starts in the, in the beyond the wall and ends up somewhere near one of the lakes. I forget which one, but, um, Gorn and Gendel used it to smuggle an army past the Night's Watch, past Sleepy Jack Musgood, I think was his name, and ended up invading the North that way. Um, am I thinking of the right thing? Hang on. Gendel and Gorn. I want to make sure I got this right. I think I'm thinking of the, I think I'm mixing up the legends of the legend of Gendel and Gorn. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure if it was Sleepy Jack. Um, it might be. But anyway, they snuck underneath. They ended up losing the Stark and Winterfell, uh, called up their troops, defeated them, and sent them, sent them packing back into the, um, sent them packing back in the caves and the story is that the descendants of Gendel of Gorn have essentially become like cave monsters that they still live in there to this day um, so the theory is that maybe that's how Bran will end up going back beyond the wall because he had to be let through last time by sam through the black gate and he is he doesn't have a um they don't have a night's watch brother anymore um i don't know what happened to cold hands blood raven's not going anywhere so if they get through it will be it, if they go back through it will have to be through the night's watch like happens in the show or it will have to be through some other method like you could take a boat and go around it i guess although they don't really have that method gorn's way is um Gorn's Way is an interesting idea for how they would do it. Uh, I think Egret mentions it a bunch. Um, the problem is that it's supposed to be essentially like a labyrinth and there's no light. So if Bran could do it, he would have to like have a map in his head already of Gorn's Way and know how to navigate it because nobody he's going with will like him and mirror doesn't know nothing like that so that'll be pretty difficult um but certainly a method for getting through the wall that nobody's accounting for at the moment um it's unclear if the white walkers can go can use it that they haven't seems to indicate that maybe they can't that the barrier of the wall goes down as well that it's um well, at least the black gate is underneath the wall and they can't use that. So maybe there's something like that. I appreciate that you guys are trying to push this to 200 likes so that to get Bernie to do this. <laughs> uh, we just got a, about a, just a few minutes left. So any last questions, um, throw them in now, tag me at Joe magician. Um, and again, if, if you're thinking about like super chat or anything, um, I would say instead give it to the Minnesota freedom fund to support the protesters out there. Um, I'm going to drop the link in the chat again. You're better off giving it to them directly through like PayPal than giving it to me and having me donate it because YouTube takes a cut, a big cut of your super chats. I don't, I don't think most people know that you do. I do not. If you give me 20 bucks, I get like 
eight or nine or something like that, and I won't get it for a month. So if you want it, this, the better way is to do it today through their website. Um, a wheezy squeeze box. If the others are gone, there's no need for the one on person next watch. Would the night's watch be abolished? Um, no, probably not, because while they were essentially they were created to stop the others, they essentially became just like a northern uh, paramilitary police force against the the kings beyond the wall. And whatever happens at the end of A Song of Ice and Fire, I don't think that's going to change. Like the feelings of resentment between those beyond the wall and those south of it are probably still going to be there. And it's it's still just useful as like a penal colony kind of thing. Um, maybe it'll after whatever happens with the others happens, maybe they'll end up being a noble organization again, or maybe they could even leave the wall. Maybe they could um, become like, I don't know, maybe something like, um, like hedge knights tend to serve or maybe some sort of, um, just an order that is now detached from the wall and serves the kingdom in general, like some sort of permanent military force or something like that. Um, so, I mean, you can do things with the Night's Watch if the others aren't there, although that's assuming that they get killed forever like they are in the show. Um, I'm sure if that's possible. So yeah, I think it's very possible that there continues to be a Night's Watch, even without the others, because they've continued to do it with them gone for 5,000 years. So you can always find a use for them if you want. And presumably Bran as king will find some use for them. Yeah, Raggedy. Twitch is even less aggressive than that. YouTube takes a big cut of the month of the super chats you send in. Um, Bezel Bub Twelve. Do you believe in Jojen Paste? Yes, I think that almost for sure that the long running uh, theory in the fandom that Jojen has been killed and turned into the weirwood seed paste that Bran ate was. I think that's probably spot on. The elements of cannibalism and blood sacrifice are very present in his story. Um, he's literally already eaten human flesh anyway, even though he didn't know it. Like, if they're willing to do that once, he's probably they're probably willing to do it again. Uh, so let's grab one more, and then I think we'll call it a day. Um, <laughs> um, is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes. Yes, a hot dog. A hot dog is a sandwich. Mm -hmm. This is correct. All you deniers are just holding on to tradition instead of understanding the truth of the sandwich. Oh yeah, and I'm wearing um, a San Rixian shirt today, the North Remembers one. 
Um, all right, so what do we have coming up on the old channel? Uh, I am working on my next video about how young Griff and John Connington in the Winds of Winter will take Storm's End, like it seems like they have. Like, how did they do that? Um, and accompanying that, there will probably be a stream with it, which may or may not feature a certain fandom villain, uh, depending on, you know, timing and availability, that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm going to aim to have that out this week. I'm going to probably record it tomorrow and then work on all that other stuff. Um, Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the I'll continue the Crusader Kings playthrough with House Dane. Um, let me drop a link in the chat. Hang on a second. Did I make it already? I think so. Uh, yes. And they dropped the link for that in the chat. Um, so that's the link to the Crusader Kings 2 thing. Um, next Saturday, same time, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we'll be doing another corn stream. Have not picked the topic yet. Um, thinking about maybe doing that David Lynch Song of Ice and Fiery thing, although that may be like um, something for like a patron only episode or something like that. I haven't decided yet. Um, I'll let you know during the week. Follow me on Twitter and all the things uh, at the Joe Magician on Twitter. Um, also, if you want to support the channel, um, I have the Patreon at patreon.com slash Joe Magician where you can get access to my patron slack. Uh, where last night we were talking about Duncan Egg and how Barry Bonds deserves to be in the Hall of Fame um, while drunk. That was a time. Uh, you can also get episodes early. You can get Sam's Rigsing's artwork. And actually, I'll put up the artwork that I used for this on the thumbnail. That's a San Rixian piece of art that I didn't end up using for the thumbnail, the Killing of a Ranger Part 2, but I'll put that up there so for patrons to have. Um, yeah, thanks for everybody for coming. Thanks for slamming that like button and spending a couple hours with me. Um, let me put a link in the chat to Radio Westeros. They start in an hour, and uh, they'll be talking again with Chloe of Girls Gone Canon about Sansa and the Winds of Winter. Oof. Oh yeah, and check out San Racian's art uh, website for awesome her awesome art and merch. She sells calendars, she sells her artwork, she sells t-shirts, so, you know, if you feel like it. It's been a fun time. I'll see you hopefully Tuesday and next Saturday, and look out for that video. I'm going to probably get that done this week. See ya.